on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. I don't like to say that there's like one way to do responsible travel. I think it's a pretty like broad statement. Basically, it's just like an effort to travel in a way that reduces the negative impact of tourism. Um, obviously, there are tons of amazing benefits to travel. It's one of the reasons I love to travel, and I'm sure you both do as well. But unfortunately, tourism can have harmful effects as well on communities. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 127 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the podcast, I just want to take a moment to thank my guest from the last episode of the show, Marta Saligo, who teaches sociology of leisure at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Marta took us to the dark side, literally, with a discussion all about dark tourism. We talked about why people are fascinated with visiting places associated with tragedy and death and some of the so-called dark tourism spots in Las Vegas. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out episode number 126, Dark Tourism, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, here we go. On to the show. Over the last several years, there's been a push for people to practice what's called responsible travel. This is travel that's all about making choices to minimize the negative impacts of your travels in favor of ones that are neutral or, even better, contribute positively when traveling. My guests for this episode of the podcast are Aaron Hines and Katie Lore, the hosts of Alpaca My Bags, a Canadian podcast that explores how to travel responsibly. Erin shared what got her interested in travel and what inspired her to start blogging and podcasting, as well as how she connected with Katie and brought her into the fold. The ladies shared their experiences with their own Las Vegas vacations, and we discussed how to apply the principles of responsible travel to your Vegas trip. Please enjoy my conversation with Erin Hines and Katie Lore from Alpaca My Bags. actually didn't get on a plane till I was 16, um, which people find surprising because now I travel so much. But my family didn't travel very much because we were a single income family, three kids. So all our trips were around Ontario growing up. Um, but before my parents had kids, they were big travelers and they actually did like a big world trip. And so as I grew up, I was always hearing stories about their travels. And my mom, especially, she was a photographer. So she would have these albums around of all these places that she and my dad went. Um, and I would flip through these albums and my mom would tell me stories and tell me about like all these countries around the world. So I think they just fostered in me a lot of curiosity about the rest of the world. Um, and then when I was 16, they put me on a plane to the Netherlands to visit family over there. So I went all by myself on my first flight um, 
And that's probably when the bug really hit me because two years later at 18, I went backpacking around Europe. And since then, I have been traveling a lot, many times a year. I'm obsessed. (laughs) It's crazy to think that the first time you were ever on a plane was at age 16 and not like a short haul trip. Like they, they didn't put you on a plane to, to Ottawa to go visit an aunt and uncle or something like that. Like yeah. a 45 minute flight. They threw you on a six hour trip to Amsterdam. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I never thought about how wild that is until recently. Cause I was on another podcast and a person had the same reaction. They were like, your parents like put you on a plane, like you'd never been in an airport, but they just put you on a plane to cross the ocean by yourself. Um, so I actually, I need to ask them about that. I'm, I'm curious if they were nervous or whether that was like a debate about whether I could handle it or not. I need to get the origin story because I was not involved. They just told me they were like, you're going on this plane to the Netherlands. And I was like, okay. So since that fateful first trip to the Netherlands, um, Where in the world have you been? Um, Many places. I've been throughout North America, Central America, lots of Europe, um, a bit of the Middle East, and a lot across Asia and South Asia. Um, So I've been like to more than 30 countries. I couldn't tell you the exact number. But yeah, I've done a lot of sort of like long haul trips where I spend like six to nine months traveling at a time um, so that I can really dig into a specific region. So when I was in Asia, I was there with my partner and we did, I think, around nine months straight. So yeah, there's a few continents I haven't done, but I'm hoping to eventually get to them all. So I'm going to ask the question then that you probably hate getting, and you probably, I don't even know if you can really answer this question. Is there a a favorite place that you've been? Can you even narrow it down to a favorite place? It's hard. I... I can't. Two she talks about all the time are India and Iceland. Those are, I mean, as her friend, this is what I experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good indicator. Iceland's fresh in my mind because I just went. But I would say two others that really stood out to me that I think about a lot are Jordan and uh, Japan. Jordan is not a place on my list at all to travel. I I don't know. I, I guess I've just never really thought about going to somewhere like Jordan. I know lots of people that have gone and have said it's absolutely incredible and and they've loved it. Um, I think if you're a, a news watcher, maybe you might be a little bit paranoid about going somewhere like Jordan. Mm, yeah. But Japan, it, 100% on my list. I, I know people that have gone to Japan and have just been absolutely blown away by how incredible it is and the, the culture and the people. And it, it's just... It's somewhere that I would absolutely love to go. It really was. I would encourage everyone to go to Japan at some point. And so what was it then that inspired you to start blogging and then move into doing a travel podcast? I mean, everybody's kind of got their reasons for wanting to do that. We were talking a little bit here before we we started recording. And I said, you know, for me, going to Vegas as often as I did, I just kind of became the the de facto Vegas expert amongst my, my friends and family. And everybody was coming to me for advice. Was it kind of the same thing for you? Was it just, you know what, I've got all this experience. I just, I want to share it. Yeah, I would say it was definitely that, but it was that mixed with a travel hangover, as I call them. I had just come back from nine months in Asia and I was honestly just like sad that I wasn't traveling. (laughs) And so I was looking for a way to talk about travel as much as I wanted without 
annoying my friends and <laughs> blogging and podcasting <laughs> was a good out- outlet for that. <laughs> and so then what was it that that got you to make the decision to take the leap from just blogging to uh, jumping into the podcast world and and going off in this direction uh, with your with your travel passion. It's actually a funny story, and Katie can help in telling it. But um, I had started my blog, and at the time, I was going to the office, and I had a colleague who one day actually like gave me the idea because she said, "Your blogs like tackle really interesting subjects, and you love talking about travel." And you love podcasts because I would always tell her about the podcasts I was listening to. So she said, you should just start a podcast about travel. And this idea had never occurred to me. I had no idea how to make a podcast. I really liked listening to them, but I just had no idea like what goes into making one. Um, So I actually posted on a forum, like a Toronto-based forum on Facebook, (laughs) just saying, I'm thinking about making a podcast. Does anyone know how? And that's literally all I wrote. And Katie connected with me after that. And so, Katie, that's how you got involved. You just reached out to this total stranger who said, I want to make a travel podcast. <laughs> and and there it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was also in the midst of possibly quitting my day job at a startup at that point because I graduated school. Like my whole life, I've been wanting to do radio and podcasts. Like that's been my my dream career. And I wasn't getting hired by the likes of like CBC and networks and that kind of thing at the time. It was about 2014 when I was graduated and was still looking for jobs. Um, And, you know, after like four years of just not getting hired anywhere, I was like, man, I'm going to be irrelevant soon in this space. Like all the skills that I just graduated with in audio production are just going to be out the window and I'm not doing anything. So I just need to do something. (laughs) And I was desperate to make a podcast, but I didn't know what to make a podcast about. So I was kind of talking my friend's ears off about this. And my friend Ben saw Aaron's Facebook post and screenshot it and texted to me and was like, hey, somebody wants to make a podcast. You should reach out to her. And so I did. And then Aaron and I met for coffee slash tea at a little local coffee shop on Bloor and Bathurst in Toronto. And we just like bonded immediately. We found out we both had peanut allergies. We both love travel. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect when I met Erin because honestly, when I saw her Facebook post, I was like, oh, Erin, she's just this travel influencer who just wants to talk about all the places she's been and how everyone should be a digital nomad. But I mean, it's kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> No, we just got along really, really well, like pretty much immediately and just got started making the podcast. I I don't even know what I said to you in that case, Aaron, but I think it was something along the lines of like, let's do it. You should do it. You should just make it happen kind of thing. And so, Katie, I assume then, are you also a big traveler? Um, I am a travel lover. I'm not a big traveler like Aaron. So I grew up um, as only child and my parents kind of had the tradition of going on a big trip. Uh, every other year. So as a kid, I was traveling a lot with my parents. We went to Greece and Italy. 
um, and I had like the best time with them. I also went to those places when I was going through a phase of being obsessed with archaeology. So going to see all the ruins was just like the best experience for me. Um, yeah. And then once I went to university and stuff, I wasn't really traveling so much uh, because I was out on my own having to pay for these things by myself um, until I went to Vegas. And yeah, and now I'm an adult who can afford things and I'm back to having the travel bug again. So yeah, I've just, um, I haven't been traveling as much, but I do love it. And that's why I love making this podcast with Erin so much because I just get to live vicariously through her and all of her experiences. Do either of you guys have those scratch off maps in your house where you scratch off the, the provinces and the states and the countries that you visited? This is the most received gift I get. <laughs> I've been given many of these. <laughs> so you have, you're starting a business where you're going to be selling scratch off maps. Is that what you're saying? I probably should. I probably should. I just have like a little stack of them in my closet and it's actually great. Like I use them. I have them hung up in my house, so I don't mind. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Um, so let's talk about your guys Vegas experiences. I know that you have each been to Las Vegas once, and I think everybody always kind of goes into a Las Vegas vacation with um, maybe some preconceived notions about what that trip is going to be, uh, what to expect, what is going to happen while they're there. So uh, let's learn a little bit about your guys' Las Vegas experiences and how it's sort of compared to other travel that you've done? So I went to Vegas because two girlfriends and I wanted to travel somewhere in the US. We were on a budget and we found a deal to go to Vegas that was like flight and hotel together. And it was just such a good deal that we thought, let's just go. Like, we'll see what happens. But admittedly, all of us had a bit of cynicism about it because... And it's funny, whenever I told people that I was going to Vegas, they were like, that doesn't seem like a place you would go. Like, no one felt that it fit my like travel profile. Right. Um, and yeah, we had cynicism about it because you see such a like stereotyped um, version of Vegas, especially living in Canada. I mean, you know, like you see it in movies and stuff, and it's just this like it comes off as a city of like excess and indulgence. Um, so yeah, we booked it. We were like, whatever, we'll do, we'll just do it and see what happens. Um, so we went in with very few expectations beyond just having fun. Um, and we ended up having the time of our lives. It's truly like one of my favorite memories, especially with these two friends of mine. We spent five days. Um, we spent in the, we spent our five days in the Golden Nugget on Fremont Street, um, which ended up being a really good decision for us because in those five days, we spent some time on the strip and going there. We, we thought to ourselves, like, we're actually happy we're staying on Fremont Street because it's a very different vibe and it feels more accessible maybe like we had access to small little cafes and restaurants and you can walk everywhere whereas the strip is just like i mean both of you know it's very big so it's kind of hard to get around you're kind of trapped and forced to spend money on like chain restaurants and expensive things fremont street felt very free so i was glad we stayed there and we did lots of things um the things that stood out to me were definitely the burlesque hall of fame, 
We really loved going there and learning about the history of burlesque in Vegas. We also went to the Neon Museum, which I think is a must-do. Um, we went during the day, though, and I kind of regret that. So I think next time when I'm in Vegas, I'm going to go in the evening so that I can see all the signs lit up. Um, we did casino hopping. We also rented a car. Um, so we drove to the Vegas sign, and we also drove to Seven Magic Mountains. Um what else did we do? We went to a show because you have to. We went to see the Magic Mike show because <laughs> we're big fans of Magic Mike. What woman isn't? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to say who these friends were, but one of my friends was actually selected to go up on stage and she got to sit on this man's lap while he played the drums. It was epic. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, actually, one of the highlights was we went out one night. So we were like, we got to have a big night out, like just girls partying. Um, but we wanted to do something like kind of off the strip. So we just looked up different bars and clubs and we ended up at a place called Odd Fellows. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay. Well, it's known as like an alternative club and it's close to Fremont Street. Like we walked, I think it was like 10 or 15 minutes. And we just had the time of our lives at this place. And there were no tourists there. It was just like all local Las Vegas people. We ended up making friends with all these people there. And they were all giving us recommendations. And the drinks were like a dollar. It was so cheap. And we just, we were there t there till like four in the morning. They had a huge projector and they were playing like 80s music and playing 80s music videos. It was just so much fun. See, and this is why I I love having other people on to talk about their Las Vegas experiences, because despite the number of times that I've been to Las Vegas, and, and if I'm being totally honest with you, I've kind of lost count of how many times I've been there. Um, despite that, you managed to do things that I have never done in Las Vegas. I've never stayed on Fremont Street. I've never been to Seven Magic Mountains. Uh, and I've never been to the Burlesque Hall of Fame. I've had the uh, the folks from the Burlesque Hall of Fame on the podcast, and I've talked to them, but I've never actually been been to the museum. I've also never actually been to the Welcome to Las Vegas sign. No way. Not once. Okay, you know what, though? It's kind of overrated because there's such a lineup to get a photo with it. We didn't, like, we kind of just drove past it because we thought, uh, we don't want to, like, stand outside in the sun waiting just to get that picture. You forgot to mention the specific car that you rented and where you went. Oh, I'm it. getting to that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that. So, okay. So the first like few days we were in Vegas, but then we were like, we need to go outside of Vegas. And this is actually when we were at Odd Fellows, these two local guys kept telling us, you need to go to Red Rock Canyon and you need to go to Valley of Fire State Park. So we rented a car and we booked the cheapest available car because we're cheap. And we go to the desk to get the car. They give us the keys. We know nothing about cars. So I think that another person may have looked at the key chain and been like, oh, I got a really nice car. We did not register that at all. We went to the <laughs> uh, parking lot and my friend who was driving hits the button to make the car unlock. And we hear it go off. But we're looking around like, oh, what car like could it be? Because we kept looking over the Mustang being like, it's not the Mustang. We assumed it was a different car. We kept clicking it and the Mustang kept going off. So it clued in eventually that they'd given us this convertible Mustang. Awesome. <laughs> which like we would not <laughs> rent on our own. <laughs> 
And it was pretty funny because none of us like knew how to like take the top down. We were just overwhelmed to be in such a nice car. So we took that car to, yeah, Red Rock Canyon and to Valley of Fire State Park. And we also drove the extraterrestrial highway to Rachel and back. Um, I have a bit of a niche interest in Area 51 and aliens and space and such. And so I wanted to see Rachel. I too have done the um, the cruise around the desert in a convertible. Um, we did it on purpose. We actually rented a convertible. We weren't lucky enough to to get the upgrade, the the complimentary upgrade to the convertible. Um, but uh, we also did the drive through uh, Red Rock Canyon, which was just an absolutely gorgeous trip. And then we also did the drive out to Hoover Dam, which uh, if you haven't done that, I would highly recommend putting that on your list to do. It's an absolutely incredible experience and an amazing spot to see. Pictures really do not do it justice you have to see it for yourself and i'll just share one more thing that we did because you you both might get a laugh out of this we so obviously like there's like burlesque dance is very famous in vegas and so is stripping so my friends and i were like well we need to go do strip club we need to see like the pole dancing because it's like part of vegas um, and what's interesting is it was really hard to find a strip club that admits women. Um, I don't go to strip clubs very often, so I didn't realize that there's like rules around this. At least maybe there aren't in Canada. I honestly don't know. Um, but we had to call a couple before we could find one that would let us go. And I forget which one we ended up going to, but it was pretty funny. They like sent a limo to pick us up. And we like got in this limo, <laughs> we're going down the highway. And it's weird because like you go in and you pay like tons of money to go in, but there's no drinks. It's all like non-alcoholic drinks, which I thought was funny. I don't know if this is normal in the US. Um, but yeah, we had a great time and like the dancers were incredible. Like these women are artists. I could not believe like the pole dancing. It blew my mind. So uh, I'll try and shed a little bit of light here on the whole alcohol no alcohol in the strip club situation and i'll ask you a question were the girls at the club that you were at totally naked yes actually i can't remember now i think they were i think they were so there's this weird liquor law in place in las vegas and i'm not sure if it's a state of nevada thing or a city of las vegas thing or or exactly what it is but basically if you're serving alcohol, the the crowd has to be over 21. And if they're over 21, you can't have full nudity. And I don't, again, I have no idea exactly why that is. And it always kind of seemed weirdly backwards to me that the younger crowd, the 18 and up crowd could go see completely naked women, but the over 21 crowd, which is supposed to be the mature adult crowd, was only able to see topless women. That always kind of seemed ass backwards to me. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me either. But I also think it's ass backwards that it's so hard for a woman to just go to a strip club. Like, we couldn't believe how many no's we got. Like, why aren't we allowed to enjoy a strip club? I have no idea. I don't know. It's <laughs> a great question. <laughs> I, I, I have a friend in, in Vegas who, who manages a strip club, so I will be sure to ask him. Can you ask them? I'm really curious what yeah. the logic is around that. <laughs> why, why a group of women cannot go 
to the strip club without having a guy. If you had just found some random guy along Las Vegas Boulevard and brought him with you, you probably would have been fine. Yeah, true. We like flying solo, though. Maybe women get too rowdy. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. So, Katie, we've heard about Aaron's Vegas experience. Yeah. Let's hear about your Vegas trip and your Vegas experience. Was it was it similar? Was it different? Did you do more of the stereotypical Las Vegas kind of vacation? What did you do? I would say my Vegas trip was quite stereotypical to the extent that I was originally there for a conference. Uh, so I also did five days in Vegas. Um, three of those days were at the conference and then we had a tagged a day on each end. Um, and so I was there for the National Association of Broadcasters Conference and I went with um, maybe like 20-ish people that were also graduating from uh, Toronto Met at that time. And yeah, so we went with the full intention of this being our grad trip. Um, so we were like, we're going to go and just experience everything that we know that Vegas is um, and also go to this conference during the day. <laughs> and so we had some of the things organized for us by some of the profs and people who had organized the trip. So we had a couple of um, cool little like daytime activities that we got around to. So when I wasn't at this conference, bored out of my mind, wearing really embarrassingly bright orange t-shirts that I was like, I am not five years old at Canada's Wonderland. Like, I don't need to be here. <laughs> you don't need to be wearing matching t-shirts. But anyway, we uh, we went to a pool party uh, where we like lost all of our clothes and we had to like walk through our hotel in our bathing suits back to our room. Um, we went to a club where we saw Skrillex, which was just like an awful, weird experience. I'm not a club person. I just kind of was following the crowd and I was there with two of my closest friends. So we were just kind of like, let's just see what happens. So we went to a club. Um, we went and saw Zumanity one night uh, and then my most favorite thing that we did that like I will never forget is dune buggying. Um, so we went out into the desert at this dune buggy course and you get to drive your dune buggy either solo or with one other person or with four people in your buggy and you drive it right out into the desert where they have like just a pylon course set up for you. And then you just do laps around this pylon course. Um, and something got into me that day where I was just like, I'm going to do as many laps and drive this thing as much as possible because I was having so much fun. So I think I like cut in line a couple of times and just like snagged the dune buggy when nobody was just like, nobody knew who was next or who was next up to go. So I was like, it's me. I'm just going <laughs> to hop in this dune buggy and go. <laughs> and just ripping over these dunes into the middle of the desert and on the way back to, I have this video of, uh, me sitting in the back seat while these two other girls are in the front and I'm just cackling so loud as we're just like ripping through the desert. So I have been telling my partner about this for so long. I'm like, you need to come to Vegas because there's so much to do there. There's something that you will like. And he's like, no, I just never want to do it. And I'm like, well, we're going to have to go at some point because dune bugging, I want to do again, like times a thousand 
Yeah. And then the rest of the trip was really just exploring the strip. We went over to Fremont Street on our last day, which I would say was our mistake. We should have gone earlier, but really it was kind of like our let's check this out before we have to hop on the bus and get to the airport kind of thing. Um, And I loved like just the old retro version of Vegas. It was just so cool and so fun to explore um yeah and then the rest of it was just kind of exploring and seeing what the strip had to offer (laughs) and where did you stay katie you were on the strip yeah we stayed at treasure island treasure island has always been one of my favorite locations yeah yeah it's one of the ones that i will generally recommend to people particularly first timers just because um the location is great it's got really good amenities there's kind of some fun history to it it doesn't really have as much as the the pirate theme as it used to which is kind of disappointing for some people i know but uh but it's still a a great location to stay yeah now, like yourself, I have done the convention experience in Las Vegas. Um, I've actually been to that same NAB convention that that you've been to in Vegas. And um, you learn some lessons. You learn <laughs> it's very hard to do Las Vegas and do a convention at the same time. Um, you learn that no matter how enticing that 9 a.m. session looks, you should never sign up for it, no matter, no matter how great it's going to be. Because inevitably, the night before, some big electronics company is hosting a big club night with some special guest artist at like Omnia Nightclub or one of the other big nightclubs. And you go to that and... And the next thing you know, it's 4.30 and you realize you have a 9 a.m. conference. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I will also say, like, I ran out of money, like, I think by, like, day three. And the only reason why I was able to somehow figure out some stuff was that I got, they were like, if you want to work at the trade show, we'll give you 500 bucks for the day. And I was <laughs> like, yes. So I did it two days in a row and I only had to work four hours and just show how people how to use an app. And I was like, yes, this is going to keep me going for the rest of the trip. And I was super frugal. I found like a $1 foot long hot dog that like had so much soy in it that I almost had an allergic reaction and was just like, it was just <laughs> I really made it work. I got lucky that I didn't volunteer. I was guess I was hired to work under the table at the trade show at one point. But (laughs) yeah, and I didn't even have like, I would say like our conference clothes were very casual. We were just wearing shorts and then these bright orange t-shirts. And most of us were pretty rattled about it because we brought like nice clothing to wear to network with people um and <laughs> our profs that were just like leading us around like we were just this horde of 16 year old children just wouldn't let us do like we were just not given access to a lot of things and they just made things really awkward for us and we were like listen we're all 22 years old like we want to make some networks and get out there on our own and the conference experience was very very weird for me it was a very weird experience (laughs) but yeah vegas and conference don't match (laughs) so was there anything that really surprised either of you about las vegas i know like for example i know a lot of people say they're very surprised at at the fact that las vegas is a a quote-unquote real city where people actually live because it's just got this uh, reputation as a as a vacation city. Was, was there anything that really kind of stood out that you weren't expecting? Well, that for sure, that definitely surprised me. I think another thing that surprised me from the start was how sprawled it is. 
I was very shocked by that. Like for some reason I had thought it was a really walkable city and very compact. So like the the largeness of the strip kind of blew my mind. Like I remember our, my friends and I, we wanted to casino hop. We're not gamblers, but we were like, we have to see all the famous casinos. And so we decided in one day that we would just work our way down the strip and pop into all the famous hotels and casinos. And it was undoable because we were trying to walk in between each casino, which is is silly. Like you can't do that. It's too far. Um, so that definitely surprised me. I'll also say something that surprised me was poverty, like noticing a lot of people on the street in Vegas. And I think that kind of points to a sort of like dark side of Vegas. And um, we ended up having a discussion with a cab driver about this actually, because we commented on that. And the cab driver told us a lot of people really do come to Vegas to spend the last of the money that they have. And so there is more poverty that's like noticeable in Vegas compared to other American cities. Although it's an issue, of course, all over America and Canada as well. Um, it just really stood out to me. And that's something that you don't really see in representations of Vegas, like in the media in general. It's interesting that you bring up the walkability of, of things. If I had a dime for every time I was on the strip and I overheard somebody say, let's walk to such and such a place. It's just right there. And, <laughs> and, and I, I usually won't it's say not. anything. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely not just right there. I, I usually, as I say, I won't say anything. But in the back of my mind, I think, sure, it looks like it's just right there. <laughs> but 45 minutes from now, when it's still just right there, yeah. you are going to want to <laughs> kill yourself because it's yeah. 114 degrees out here yeah. and you will have melted to nothingness. You'll oh. be praying to hail an Uber or a Lyft or a cab somewhere, yeah. somehow, because holy hell, it's hot and it's still just right there. <laughs> this is an important thing to note. We are big fans of uh, like shoulder season and off season travel. So we were like, oh, we'll go to Vegas in the summer. There'll be less people. <laughs> so we were in Vegas in July. <laughs> And we were committed to walking. That did not last. There were many Ubers. There were many because you just, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, uh, I've done that July trip to Las Vegas and it is, it's quite the feeling when you step out of the airport to go and, and get your, your cab or your ride share or whatever, and you get hit in the face with heat that's, that I can only describe being similar to, um, the same heat that you get hit in the face with when you're cooking your Christmas turkey and you open the, the oven door and you get hit in the face with that heat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so, Katie, what about you? Was there anything that really kind of surprised you about Las Vegas? Well, it's kind of on the note of what you said. When something is just right there, it's really not just right there. And for me, that's because you have to take an escalator over the strip to then walk through a hotel to then get to another corner to then take another escalator and then <laughs> another escalator. And the infrastructure of Vegas strip is just was so mind blowing to me. It was 
such a like a strip mall kind of vibe but also like totally unique in its own essence and I think the outdoor escalators were the weirdest thing I've ever experienced I don't I've never seen that like anywhere else was outdoor escalators and people just standing scooting over the over the strip and like it was just nuts and then also the like you were saying it's 42 degrees out I think I was there in May um or April but the sh- absolute shock of having to walk through uh, outside and then into the hotel where it's freezing cold. And then you come back out and it's super hot and you're just never really fully acclimatized to things. And then when you're in Vegas and you're having drinks on the go, your body just isn't <laughs> like, I think I had, oh, no, one time I did have a taco from the mall and I'm allergic to soy as I've referenced already. And I guess it just wasn't actual beef. It was just like a soy situation. So I had, I took a Benadryl and then went down to the pool uh, at Treasure Island and got like a slushy drink. And I didn't realize that they basically pour drinks there as like a 50-50 ratio. Like it was just 50% alcohol, 50% slush. And I just remember sitting in the pool and feeling the Benadryl come over me and the haze of the hot air and then just feeling this alcohol starting to I just had one sip of this slushy and I just slowly started to sink into the pool. And I was like, okay, we got to go. I need to go upstairs and have a nap. And I napped for like five hours. Like (laughs) it was just like my body just could not handle like all of these things going on at once. That was like the biggest shock to me was the infrastructure and just a lot of stuff to absorb all at once and try and make sure everything was safe. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that whole temperature variation thing where it's hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. Um, I always tell people when they go to Las Vegas to dress in layers. Yes. Because not only in the summertime is it that weird variation where it's outside hot, inside cold. But then when you go in the wintertime, it's the weird variation of outside cold, inside hot. You're outside and it's not, this may come to a surprise as people, but Vegas is not hot all year round. Uh, it, it does kind of shock people when they're getting off the plane in February wearing flip-flops and shorts and then running out to the store to buy sweaters. But anyways, um, <laughs> they go outside and it's cold outside, but then in the same way the casinos have got the air conditioning cranked up in the summertime, they've got the heat cranked up in the wintertime. So you're sitting there at a slot machine sweating like a fool because it's just, it's so hot inside the casino. Yes. And as for the weirdness of seeing escalators outside, I'm completely right there with you. I think on my very first trip to Las Vegas, I I don't, I, I took a ton of photos of escalators outside because it was just so bizarre to me. I think all of my pictures, all like all of the first pictures from the first couple days of my trip are just us on escalators. Like, <laughs> Look at us. Wild. We're outside. We're on escalators. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Those escalators I, would never fly in our climate here in Canada. No, no, they could never. After the break, Aaron and Katie define responsible travel for us and break down how to apply the idea of responsible travel when visiting a city perhaps best known for total irresponsibility. That's next on Jeff Does Vegas.
guys do a podcast together. We touched on it way back at the beginning of our conversation. It's called Alpaca My Bags. It is a Canadian podcast. You explore how to travel responsibly. You talk about a lot of great stuff on this podcast. You talk about dark tourism, which I recently talked about on the show, um, sustainable travel, voluntourism, travel privileges. And it all kind of comes down to responsible travel. And this is a term that I've kind of heard bandied around a little bit within the last few years. And it's something that I don't really know a lot about. So let's start there. What is responsible travel? And sure what responsible travel is. And and I know I've heard the term bantered around a little bit and and I've I've read articles and seen things about it, but but I'm not 100% sure. So what is responsible travel? Yeah, you know, I don't like to say that there's like one way to do responsible travel. I think it's a pretty like broad statement. Basically, it's just like an effort to travel in a way that reduces the negative impact of tourism. Um, obviously, there are tons of amazing benefits to travel. It's one of the reasons I love to travel, and I'm sure you both do as well. But unfortunately, tourism can have harmful effects as well on communities. Um, so I would say that responsible travel is just about making choices that minimize the negative impact of travel in favor of ones that are either neutral or contribute positively and give back to the communities that you visit. Um, so we always say on the podcast, it's about traveling in a way that's better for people and for the planet and also for wildlife. So then what would be some examples of how to travel responsibly? Yeah, there's so many things you can do, but some of the easy tactics I like to tell people are to minimize flying wherever possible. Um, there's a camp of people that argue that you shouldn't fly at all. I actually disagree with this. I think it's more about like working towards shifting the aviation industry to be more sustainable. Um, and one way that consumers can do that is to opt for direct flights instead of getting connecting flights, because that reduces the amount of carbon that's let into our atmosphere on your trip. Um, and skip hopper flights. Like I, I'm guilty of it. I used to fly between Toronto and Ottawa and Toronto and Windsor, which is a very short flight, like one hour. Um, and those are the flights that we honestly shouldn't be taking because we can take a train and you'll basically get there in the same amount of time and it'll have way less of a carbon impact. So that's like a really easy thing that people can do. It's just about shifting the way you approach your travel habits. Um, I also always tell people to support local as much as possible. So if you can um, avoid chain hotels and book small independently and locally owned hotels instead, that way you know that your dollars are going towards local people. Um, traveling slowly is also a great way to reduce your impact. Um, so spending as long as you can in a place. Um, because the longer you spend, the more opportunity you have to get to know it and learn about it, uh, but also invest in its economy with your tourism dollars, um, which does good for that place. And then I mentioned it before, but traveling in the off season or the shoulder season is a really great way to avoid over tourism, which is a really big issue that a lot of destinations around the world are facing right now. I, I totally get that idea of, of over tourism. I actually experienced that. 
um, somewhat close to home here. Being in Calgary, where I am, we're only about an hour's drive away from uh, Banff National Park and the Rocky Mountains and Lake Louise, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Not that I'm being biased or anything, um, but I went out there recently for a, uh, just a nice little day trip. It was a beautiful day. It was a weekday. I thought it would be a good day to go. It very much was not. It, it used to be you could go out there for a day and go to some of the smaller lakes or smaller areas and hardly even see a soul. Or if you were out there on the weekdays, you could go to some of the more popular places. And even though they were popular, it still wasn't busy. That is not the case anymore. I went out there. I couldn't even get a parking spot at Lake Louise, couldn't get a parking spot at uh, Lake Minnewanka, um, had a heck of a time getting around. If they, if you want to go anywhere, you have to do shuttle buses now. It's actually at the point where it's not even an enjoyable experience. And the thing is, if it's a bad experience for you as a tourist, and I totally agree with you, I've had that experience myself in Banff, and I've had it all over the world. I mean, a lot of European cities are suffering. And as a tourist, it's not nice. Like the last time I was in Paris, my experience was kind of dampened because I just couldn't enjoy places because you're just so packed in. Um, but if the experience is bad for a tourist, it's also bad for the people who actually live there. Because if you're having a hard time getting around and enjoying the city, it's pretty much a guarantee that the people who actually call that place home are having that same experience. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot we can do like as individual travelers and like shifting our habits to choose destinations that aren't so overwhelmed. But it's important to say it's also like a lot of it is the industry. There's a lot of infrastructure issues that play into this and we need buy-in from like corporate entities and DMOs and tourism boards to actually change things. And I actually know that um, the Banff Tourism Board has been working on this. They're trying to shift people towards using public transport instead of using their own vehicles to get around. Um, so yeah, I know that they are are trying to trying to find a way to help reduce the amount of people, but it's hard because it's beautiful. So people want to see it. And I have to wonder, too, if some of this is kind of this pent up post COVID travel demand in that um, people haven't been doing a lot of traveling for the last couple of years. And then this year, airports and airlines and flying was was such a mess that a lot of people just preferred to hop in the old family truckster and make a cruise out to the mountains rather than the traditional old school big family vacation to Disney World or or something like that. Another piece of the puzzle too is like in Alberta, like tourism is so concentrated around Banff. And for example, I'm going to talk about Iceland, Katie, because I love it so much. <laughs> but also Iceland's a really interesting example because they were really struggling with over tourism pre-pandemic. And during the pandemic, they put a lot of budget towards um, expanding infrastructure outward from the sort of centralized area, which was like just outside of Reykjavik, Thingavellir uh, Park, they expanded it to try to encourage tourists to go further and to explore like parts of the island that were less explored. And I think that this is something that like Alberta could really do because there's so much beauty in Alberta. It's not just all in Banff. There's so much to see, like if you go more north in Alberta. So I think part of it is just about like marketing other regions of the province so that there's more spread of tourists in the province instead of having everyone concentrate around that one area. And Katie, what are your thoughts on, on traveling responsibly and being a responsible traveler? 
responsible travel for me, at least. And what we kind of advocate for on the podcast is being a global advocate and making sure that you are using your voice and all of the tools and privileges that you have to fight for a responsible tourism industry. So there's a lot of different things that are going on within the travel space that uh, could be changed if a lot of people demanded the change. Um, and I think a lot of people don't really often use their voice or their email skills to demand that companies and industries change the way that they want them to. So for example, a lot of like planes, people still can't roll onto planes with their real wheelchairs yet. And there's been story after story after story about uh, $30,000 wheelchairs getting damaged by airline staff. Um, and that's not okay. And if more and more people call out airline staff and tell them, listen, we we value our disabled community and we want them to be able to travel in an easy way, just like us, then, you know, maybe airlines and different companies will take that more seriously. There's also a lot of really awful racist things that happen through TSA that I think a lot of people can speak out about. Um, and also there's a lot of uh, celebrities flying around the world in their private jets every day. Um, and that's having a huge impact on our carbon, uh, uh, on greenhouse gases and, 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 uh, the climate crisis. And I think if a lot more people are willing to speak out about these things, then we can kind of normalize what we're okay with and what we're not okay with. So being a responsible traveler is also, in a sense, being a bit outspoken and willing to advocate for something that you feel needs to happen. So that's kind of my social justice stance on all of that. So what was it then that was the catalyst for you guys to make responsible travel a thing that you wanted to talk about on the podcast? Was there a specific incident or was it just a case of uh, traveling around the world and seeing what was going on and thinking, you know, there's some things that I should really speak out about here? Well, for me, there's definitely like a sort of collection of experiences that I had that just got me thinking a lot about, like, I guess, I guess what happened is I had been traveling in Europe and started to notice things that I didn't like about the tourism industry and about tourists. I just noticed the harms of tourism. Um, notably, like I lived in Venice, Italy for several months. And while I was living there, I was very close with local people. And so I learned firsthand about how over tourism was really impacting that city. Um, so that was like definitely one starting point for me to think about the harms of tourism. So it was that, but also just like chatting with friends of mine who you know, have different experiences traveling, like, and hearing about how their experiences differed from mine just made me think a lot about, okay, like travel is not one way. There's different ways to travel. There's different impacts that travel has. And I just felt like I was thinking about this a lot, but not seeing much discussion about it. Um, so when we started the podcast, like we actually started it with an episode about um, something that I had noticed, which was people in Cambodia shooting rocket launchers. And this was something I was critical of. And so that was our first episode. And from there, we kind of just started to progressively lean more into talking about controversial, but also like just general issues in tourism. So yeah, I would say like for me, it was just a curiosity and, and a want to talk about these things that I was noticing in my own experiences. 
Um, but then over time, we began to lean into it more and more because we noticed that listeners really responded to these discussions. One thing I think is really important to say too, I try to say this in, in every interview I do, um, there is no one size fits all approach for responsible travel. And we never want to come off as like preachy or telling people, oh, you shouldn't do this, or this is how you should travel. Um, I think it's really that everyone is on a personal journey. Some responsible travel tips might be more accessible to another person, and that's okay. It's just about figuring out what you can do and what's within your boundaries and just starting small and building from there. I think like a big piece of the puzzle is just to like think about it a little bit and sort of like change your framework around travel to think about like having a positive impact when you do it. So Las Vegas, of course, affectionately known as Sin City, it's a city built entirely on irresponsibility, if you will. Um, people go there to forget about their lives, forget about real life, kind of um, just let loose, cut loose. How can someone apply the principles of responsible travel to vacationing in a city like Las Vegas? Um, well, okay. There's two big ones that stand out to me. I think first, you can make your trip educational. Um, Vegas has such a fascinating history and there are so many museums where you can learn about this history, like the Mob Museum. There's also the Nevada State Museum, the Burlesque Museum, which I really loved. There's tons of them. You could go to Vegas and spend like three days straight just going to museums. Um, I think at least personally, education is a big part of travel for me. I find it really fun to learn like the history of places and also just learning about like cultural and social history of a place. Um, so yeah, there's tons of resources to do that in Vegas. So even if you're going to party, just take like one afternoon and hit up one museum just so you leave Vegas with like a little bit of knowledge that you didn't have before. And then another one that I think you can definitely do in Vegas is support diverse businesses while you're there. Um, a lot of the options are chain, like chain hotels and chain restaurants. Um, but don't be discouraged by that because literally just wander a couple couple blocks off. I mean, I'm saying just wander a couple blocks. It's going to be far. But if you're willing to explore off the strip, um, you can definitely find like locally owned restaurants um, where you can have a bit more of a personal experience and make sure that your tourism dollars are going towards local people. Um, what about you, Katie? Do you have anything to add? I would just say um, specifically in Vegas, like there's so much to see, right? Use your eyes and your, and your brain to kind of answer some questions that may come up for you, like around po the poverty that we see. And maybe you see, you know, there's escalators everywhere, but how are wheelchairs supposed to get up over there? You know, there's lots of different things that you can kind of notice when the, within a city, no matter where you are, that you can just kind of, that just pop into your head as questions. Erin said this on the podcast before, but when she's in a place uh, and there's some weird questions that come up for her, she writes them in uh, the notes app on her phone, and then we'll head back to her hotel room and Google them and see what people are saying about these things. So that's one option that you can do is just just note down the questions that come up for you, especially in a place like Vegas that has so much character and so much history and so many things going on. And then take the time to really explore those questions, uh, because that might bring up some other thoughts for you that you might want to be an advocate for. So those are my thoughts. 
I'm really happy that you mentioned museums, Aaron, as a, a way to be a responsible traveler uh, or a responsible tourist, if you will. Uh, my wife and I are huge museum nerds. And anytime we go anywhere, um, we try and find some sort of museum that we think is going to be interesting to us to, to learn something about the area that we're in. And uh, you mentioned some of the ones that Las Vegas has there. There, of course, is the Mob Museum downtown, which is just absolutely incredible and goes deep into that mob history. Um, there's also the National Atomic Testing Museum, which is just off the strip and goes into uh, Nevada and Las Vegas's nuclear history, which is really, really interesting. And then one of my favorites, the south end of the strip uh, is the Pinball Hall of Fame and Museum. If you're into classic arcade games or classic pinball machines at all, it's one that you, you really do want to check out. It's really, really cool. Um, so again, museums, maybe not something that people think of as a way to be a responsible tourist so I, again i'm really glad that you brought that up oh yeah i'm also a big museum fan so i'm excited for our next trip because i'm going to go to a couple that i haven't been to including the atomic museum i'm now curious about this i'll also add because jeff you had mentioned you know this is a place where people come to be irresponsible um i would say specifically to their wallets and specifically to their livers um, and on that note, you can be a responsible traveler in just, you know, being responsible to yourself. It doesn't mean you don't like don't party as hard as you're planning on, but at least at the very least, try and book a day off when you come home so that you can rest and recuperate which, instead of just flinging into your everyday life. Uh, because Vegas, in my experience, is a lot. It's a lot of things flying at you all at once. It's a lot to absorb, especially as like a little humble Canadian. So you come home and it, there's like a, a serious like recovery time from traveling, at least for me in most cases. So like think about what your needs are when you're going to come home and give yourself some time to rest and recover before you go back into your regular job life and have to deal with the stresses of being on Zoom calls all day. So just be responsible to yourself and listen to your body and what it needs and stock your fridge uh, full of vitamin things because they're hard to come by on in the Vegas. Everything's deep fried. So make sure you got some like good vitamin thingies like vegetables, some fruits, go to the Walgreens on the Vegas strip and pay a zillion dollars for something that just has vitamin C in it because it'll it'll help you. It'll help you. I know that like for us by like day number two, day number three, at some point during that day, my wife will usually just turn to me and be like, I'm just craving some freaking fruit or salad, salad or <laughs> yeah, or something like I remember one time we went uh, we went for breakfast to Hash House a Go-Go in uh, what was at the time. I think it was the the link or Imperial Palace or whatever it was at the time. And um, she whatever she ordered came with a side of fruit. And the side of fruit was basically an orange slice. That was the side of fruit. And no. it's just like, no, need. Okay. Need Can I plug a place? Yeah. We stayed on Fremont Street every single day for five days straight. We went to this place called a Merry Brunch Cafe. It was amazing. And they served fruit and they served salad. And the couple that owned this place were the kindest people. We chatted to them every single morning. We were like telling them all about what we were doing. And then on the last day that we went in, we told them it was our last day and they gave us like free cake to take with us. These, these people were the sweetest people. Like 
local Las Vegas folks and just running this little cafe just off of Fremont Street. So it's still there. I double checked. So if you're in Vegas, go go there for your breakfast. Those are the kinds of places I love like that. Again, you're not going to get that at the Starbucks in the Bellagio. They are not going to care that it's your last day there other than the fact that you're no longer going to be there spending money, but there will be 10 people to replace you that will be there spending money. (laughs) It honestly made my morning every day to walk through the door of that cafe and have both these people look up and smile at us because we all looked so downtrodden because like we were hungover and tired from the previous (laughs) night. (laughs) It just gave me life to see these people every morning and their food was so good. Like everything about this place is amazing. So yeah, Amerabrunch Cafe. This is something that we always talk about is just supporting the local restaurant and especially for people like Aaron and I who have food allergies. When we find a safe spot, we will keep coming back because that is our new favorite spot. And you can only find these kinds of hidden gems and really places that will accommodate your needs um, with smaller owned places. And it's important to rate them five stars on Google. Absolutely. Um, So ladies, I want to thank you for Uh, taking time to come on and have this conversation and maybe take away some of the um, the stigma or stereotype about the idea of uh, responsible travel, because I think it it sounds like kind of maybe a big, scary word to a lot of people. And it it maybe um, puts a few things in their mind and maybe people think that it might restrict the way they can travel or it might affect their enjoyment of of a vacation. And and based on what you guys are telling me, it 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 really won't. So um, thank you. I, I, I really I really do appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we could share. Thanks for having us on to tell you about it. If people want to learn more about responsible travel and and how they can partake in responsible tourism, um, you, of course, have the blog, you have the podcast. Uh, how can they go about finding that? Yeah, I write a lot about responsible travel on my blog, which is pinatravels.org. That's P-I-N-A-T-R-A-V-E-L-S dot org. Um, There's actually a whole section dedicated to responsible travel. So if you pop in there, um, there's plenty of resources. And actually, I've written one blog that's, I think it's 22 tips on how to be a responsible tourist. So I always like to share that blog with people because it's sort of like a master document of tips that you can uh, start adopting and making part of your travel habits. And then, of course, if you like podcasts, listen to Alpaca My Bag because we talk about responsible tourism every other week on our episodes. Awesome stuff. Aaron, Katie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and having the conversation again. uh, I I really do appreciate this. Thanks so much for having us. This has been so fun. Thank you, Jeff. Once again, you can learn more about responsible travel and so much more on Aaron's website at pinatravels.org. You can follow Aaron on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Pina Travels, and you can follow Katie on Twitter at Podcat, and check out her website at katielore.com. Also, make sure you check out Alpaca My Bags at alpacamybags.ca or find it wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Of course, you can find all these links in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. (laughs) 
And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production. Oh, 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 oh,